0: Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. As Tim mentioned... uh... Before, we're going to introduce a partnership class. And the idea, we have never done this at Creekside Church. And and we thought this would be a great way for us to feel more connected, feel more um, as a a fellowship. The idea of our partnership class coming up on, I think it's the 12th of August, I think, is it right? Or 13th of August, the Sunday after church. We'll send you out an email. We'd love you to sign up. I'd like to take 10 to 20 people through that partnership class to start with. And then we'll do it again. We'll repeat it. It's the same class. We'll be repeated. And we basically just want to help feed people through that so that together we're learning our heart of our church, our vision, uh, what it means to be part of the connected into the fellowship of the church. But most importantly, one of the things that I really feel is important around partnership, and we use that term partnership. Some churches use the term membership, which is a biblical word. Membership is that I'm a member of this body. And the idea is, the same as a partnership, is that I'm partnering together. I'm locking arms with the body of Christ to say, yes, this is my church fellowship. This is my spiritual family where I belong, and I'm belonging to something special. And I'm helping build something special. And this is how I can say I can feel a part of it because I understand it. There's a bit more clarity around it. It's not just attending church on Sunday. It's saying I belong to the fellowship. It's much more than just attending It's a change of mindset and heart and saying I belong and it's where I can let my roots go down and let my feet kind of sink in and say, yes, I'm here and I want to be part of the future and the growing of this particular fellowship. Does that all make sense to everyone? That's the idea of coming to a partnership. And so we'll talk more about it as we go, but love for, you know, take a group of 10 to 20 of us through it. And then we can just continue to offer that class and just build our partnership over time. The idea of it is really a discipleship step. It's it's not just an idea of building a, a club, a church club or something like that. It's really about our personal growth. You know, we look at our Alpha classes and they're fantastic for making a commitment to God. Learning about Jesus and getting connected to God and making that commitment. But then when we look at our partnership class, it's saying I'm making a commitment to Fellowship. I'm saying I'm a committed person to my church family. And that's the idea. It's a different thing. And so it's a step of commitment. And in my faith, I will grow because it's helping me grow as a disciple. Not only in my connection to God, but in my connection to the fellowship. So That's the goal around our partnership. So we'll talk more about that. And um, last Sunday, I introduced a new series. If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember it was called All In. We'll put that up there. Yep. All In. The Life of a Steward. We're going to focus these next three or four weeks on that. And then in the last part of the term, we're going to focus and walk our way through the book of Philippians, which will be great. Four chapters over four weeks. It'll be just a really nice overview of the book of Philippians. But in this first part of the term, we started a series last week, All in, The Life of a Steward. All in. And if you missed it, I'm just going to give you a really quick recap. Um, we started the idea with firstly three key ideas, and three things I want us to think about and memorize. And the first one is that God owns it all. God owns it all. It's a key phrase for you to memorize through this series. It's one of, it's to me a mindset shift because it's opposite to what the world says. Well, the world says, I own everything. Whereas this series is all about saying God owns everything. There's a bit of a mind shift there. And secondly, there's a scripture which will help you understand biblically that this is the idea, and it's from 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12, which says, and this is a memory verse, has anyone memorized it this week? So let's try and memorize it this week. Okay, Um, you might have heard it last week if you were here. Now you heard it this week. If you weren't here last week, but this week we can memorise. I'd love you to memorise this. This is one of those verses that is actually I memorised when I was 23 years old and it's changed my life because it's helped me get the right mindset around money. It's helped me get the right mindset around my time, the right right mindset around my, my gifts and my talents and the possessions and the things that I have in my life, my body, everything because it says everything in heaven and earth is new. Can we read it out together church? This is our memory verse. Are you ready? Everything in heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. That just tells us that God owns it all, essentially. God owns it all. And so thirdly, the three words for us to remember are these, master, steward, and faithful. And last week I shared that there are two economies going on in the world today. Let's talk about money for a minute. Two financial economies going on in the world. There's God's economy and then there's the world's economy, and they're two very different things. And the problem that we all face today is that we live in the world's economy and we try to do everything by the world's economy. And yet God's got an economy and it's a, it's a different economy because the difference is that God is central in his economy. In the world's economy who's central? I am. I'm central in the world's economy. It's all about me being in control of everything. It's about me thinking that I own everything. So there's a shift of mindset right now to say God is in control. God owns everything. He is my master. He is my master. And I shared that idea that that's a problem with the world's economy is that I am the master. But in God's economy, he is the master and I am the steward. And the idea of a steward is that it's someone who is managing or overseeing someone else's property. So it's actually a great position. It's part of my identity in Christ is that I am a steward. So you think, who am I in Christ? I'm a steward. That's one of many parts of my identity now. I'm a steward of God's things, God's stuff that he's loaned me. I came into the world with nothing. I'll go out of the world with nothing. But in between, while I'm here, he has loaned me his stuff to manage and to oversee. In fact, we even oversee this world. We are managers or stewards of God's creation. True? So it's really important we get this part of our identity right. And God says there's only one responsibility that you have to do with his stuff. Well, you've got control over here, and that is to be faithful. It says there in First Corinthians 4 2. Moreover, it is required of a steward that a person be found faithful. That's the only thing that you have to do. Be faithful with God's stuff. Because we will remember that he said in the parable of the talents that he, he said that welcome into my kingdom. You have been faithful with many things. That is the thing that God is looking for. At in our hearts is that we're faithful people. God's not using money. He doesn't want you to be rich. He wants you to be faithful. He's looking at our hearts and money as a tool and money as a test of what's going on in our hearts. That's the key. And that's why it's actually a spiritual thing. We talk about the world's economy and we talk about God's economy. There's a real spiritual aspect to this. In Luke 16:11, it says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth... Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So there's a spiritual connection here that we need to make. Jesus is equating how we handle money in a worldly sense, the actual use of money and possessions and, and the, the stuff of the world. is actually tied to our spiritual life There's a connection there. And when you really think about that, it's challenging because it means that every single financial decision that I make in my life is a spiritual decision because it's going to affect my life, spiritually. And so there's this aspect of it that when I'm thinking about savings or investing or giving or any aspect of earning and keeping integrity around money and and managing it the way God wants me to manage it is a really key part of that. The Bible talks about this so much. In fact, it's one of the most talked about topics of any other topic. Jesus spoke about it more than any other topic, the way we use finances and possessions way more than he talked about prayer. And we need to learn, well, what are those biblical financial principles that will help me find financial freedom? We all want financial freedom, but we get the wrong term in our head because we think financial freedom in a worldly economy is different to financial freedom in God's economy. Financial freedom in God's economy is different. Financial freedom in God's economy is when I realise that he is the master, I am the steward, and I only need to be faithful. Once I become faithful with it, I can then become generous and I can become content, completely content, because I've acknowledged my identity in this. I'm a steward. And so it sets me free. So last week we focused on that. We explored the idea after that around generosity and that as part of our identity as a steward, we become generous and that the righteousness of Christ lives within us and was And that means that we can be generous because righteousness means to be generous. That's a big part of what righteousness means. And so today, though, we're going to focus on a different topic now for a few minutes and something that's deeply related to being a steward as well. And it's a topic of contentment, topic of contentment and how contentment is also linked to Christ in me as well and part of my identity right now we're all in different places we've come in here at all different levels of you know financial levels in our life some of you are very blessed with an over an abundance in your life some of you feel absolutely cheated in life because you don't have much some of you feel rich some of you feel very poor but regardless of where you are today in plenty or in want your sustaining force needs to be found in Christ alone When you look at the life of Job, you can see that he faced this. He had plenty and he lost it all and then had nothing and he faced many calamities. And worse than that, probably he faced more than we will ever face in our lives. But he found his strength in God alone and he was blessed. He found contentment in God and I think this blessed life is not about what you have, it's not about what you own, it's not about what you possess, it's, it's more about how content you are with who you are in Christ. Amen. And then have a look at Solomon, the opposite end of the spectrum. He had everything, wisdom and riches and more riches than any other king had ever had, but he came to a point of saying that it was all vanity. He says it's utterly meaningless Everything is meaningless, he says. It sounds like all that he had just drove him mad in the end. He had everything. He had women. He had money. He had every little kind of gadget under the sun that you could think of. He had it all. And then he says it's meaningless. He says pleasures and toil and advancement, success and wisdom and chase. It's all chasing after the wind, he says. It's meaningless. He said whoever loves money never has enough. If you love money, you'll never have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Always got to have more. Always got to get it. This is too, is meaningless, he says in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 to 20. We'll read this together. It's a, what it says is it's teaching me a foundational principle here of contentment. Let me see if we can find that one. There we go. Ecclesiastes 5, it says, this is what I have observed to be good. Solomon says that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. He's saying... Be content in your life. Find satisfaction in serving the Lord. Enjoy what God has given to you. Be happy because it's a gift. Reflect on life and keep a glad heart in these things. He's saying stop seeking more. Stop scratching for more and scraping and hoping and praying and wondering if you're going to get more. Because life is not about getting more. More of this. And more of that, Solomon says, it's meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. It's like chasing the wind, he says. Someone told me yesterday that uh, when he first got saved, he, he said that the preacher held up a little spray bottle. Up, You remember that movie or that ad where we sprayed in the mouth but the spray went, shh, out there? He was showing this example of a little spray bottle of the, the, the breath freshener. And he said he held up the spray bottle and went, shh, and then it just vanished like a mist. He says, that's what it's like. It just disappears. It's, just, it's nothing. It's meaningless. It's, that's what it's like. And he says, you will never find contentment until you find Christ. That's what he said. And, and then, so we've looked at Job. We've looked at Solomon. And now I want to look at Paul. And Paul on this topic, um, Apostle Paul, in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. Paul says, "I am not saying this because I am in need. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances." Now we know his circumstances. They were very difficult circumstances he was facing as he wrote this in prison. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Mm. Today I'm talking about the heart. I'm talking about the heart of a steward. The heart behind being blessed and being financially free as a steward of God. To be blessed, to be financially free, it is to be content, isn't it? It's to be content. It's to get out of the world's economy and get into God's economy. It's to obtain your identity in Christ alone, Is to say, I am a steward of God's stuff. And not trying to strive for success in a way that I just have to have more and more and more to try to reach some kind of level of success. Paul is saying, I've had it all, and I've had nothing. But here's what I've learned, and here's what I can tell you, he says. It's Christ alone I find my, my life in him. That's when I have nothing. Even when I have nothing, it makes life okay because I have Christ alone. Even when I have plenty, it makes life okay because I still have Christ, for it's he who puts it in perspective and helps me see that I have plenty for a reason and that's God's purposes to help those who are suffering. And it's in Christ alone that it helps me not get caught up in the worldliness around money and possessions. It's in Christ alone. I'll give you an example. You've probably all heard of the prosperity doctrine, right? And the whole prosperity doctrine, it promises that we have this blessed life. You've seen the televangelists and they preach on this. You may have been in churches. It's, it's a big message. It's out there in the world. They preach on prosperity and the health and wealth of everything. Um, this really has given Christianity a bad name. And it's yet it's one of the most teached Christian messages out there, the prosperity doctrine. It teaches that God wants us or wills, us as believers to be physically healthy, financially wealthy, personally happy and if you're not then you don't have faith and you must have sin in your life. And then then what they'll say is you need to give more into it to sow the seed to get more back to fix the problems. There's only one person getting rich in that by the way. So instead of having this balanced biblical view on these issues of sickness and poverty and and finances so we end up with this prosperity doctrine and this poverty doctrine a poverty gospel and all the while the real gospel which is right down the middle is one of contentment it's one of finding your life in Christ it's one of finding your provision in Christ and how God chooses and when he chooses and how he chooses to do it it's one of finding your healing in Christ alone with when and how he chooses to do it. It's one of finding your joy in Christ alone. And in the prosperity doctrine, that's missed. What they say is, here's what God wants for you. He wants you to be financially wealthy, fully healed and overwhelmed with happiness. Anyone here wanna argue with that? I mean, I'll take it. Sounds great to me for someone who's sick or with the disease, that sounds awesome, right? For someone who's poor, that sounds amazing. So the prosperity gospel, it sounds amazing. Now all you need to do is make an offering and sow into it and you'll receive 10 times what you gave and receive your promise from God. It's all about what you're going to get out of it. It's all about what you are going to get from it. The problem with that is it's not what we read about in The Life and Death of Jesus. It's not what we see lived out by the apostles, is it? It's not what Paul is talking about here in Philippians. But this is the most popular version of Christianity being preached out there today. Problem is, it's a false gospel and it's a lie. This prosperity teaching ruins lives and it makes televangelists and pastors rich. No one else is getting rich by these lies. I've been in many third world countries and I've visited and I see the most generous people, more generous because they're giving out of their need, they're not giving out of their abundance. We're in the top 3% of the richest people in the world here and we are giving out of our abundance, church. And we need to learn what it means to give and sacrifice and give out of our need because I find the happiest people, and you know what the word happy means, is to be blessed. The most blessed people, the people I've been with in India and Cambodia and Thailand and other third world countries where I've seen them giving out of their need and being so blessed in their giving. But guess what? They didn't get rich from it. They, they're still living in their poverty. They're living this way because they're generous, because they have Christ in them and they're being stewards of God's stuff and they're wanting to build the kingdom of God. They've got the right heart. And God is blessing them because it says there that, that he's building, they're building their true spiritual riches in their giving. Their circumstances aren't changing, but they're sowing seeds and they're making money live because it's changing lives. And I want us as a church as, and as a people that we could sow the seeds, God's money, and change people's lives not for what we can get back and what we get out of it. We know God does bless us and we praise and thank him for it. He blesses us because he said that when you sow, you will reap generously. You sow generously, you'll reap generously. But that's not our motivation for giving, true? People believe these ridiculous, half-preached out, out out-of-context principles that are unrealistic and then when they don't get healed the way that they were told they would, or they don't make 10 times the money back than what they did when they gave that donation, then they give up on their faith, or they get told, oh, you must have sin in your life, or these other ridiculous ideas, and they fall into this these lies. And the problem is, the focus is all wrong with this, because you're not really seeking God, you're not saying, you don't want God in that, you want happiness, you don't want God in that, you will You don't want Jesus. You want more money. You don't want the awe and majesty of God in this. You want more and more money, more and more, or whatever, because you're not content. So, why do people fall for it? Because our flesh wants more. Our flesh lives in the worldly wealth, our flesh lives in the worldly economy. And we want more than we want that more sometimes than the what we want Christ. What happened to being crucified with Christ? The problem is that we really want the things that we really want and the things that we really need are different. What we want is more because our flesh cries out for more in the world. But what we really need is just to be content in Christ with whatever our circumstances, as Paul said, through Christ who gives us strength. The Bible is full of promises of how God will bless you. And we agree in those promises. And we say, Lord, thank you and praise you for the promises But the motive of our hearts needs to be pure. It's challenging. Because our blessed life is not centred on my health. My blessed life is not centred on my wealth. My blessed life is centred on Christ. And being content in Christ alone. whatever lot I have in life. Now that when we know that God does bless us financially, we know one thing, that his purpose for blessing us financially is one thing. And this goes back to what I spoke about last week and that is being generous. It's being righteous with what God has blessed us with. The righteousness of God, the tzedak, it comes out, the tzedakah in generosity. It's right there, the same word in the Hebrew. Our righteousness in Christ, which was planted within us as the Spirit of God, came in us and we were saved. When the Holy Spirit came and filled us, we received the righteousness of Christ. It lives within you, which means you have generosity within you. And he's saying that with the worldly wealth, it says in 1 John 3, 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? How can the righteousness of God be in that person? How, why is there not the generosity within that person if they're filled with the Spirit and they have worldly wealth? It's a good question. This puts it in perspective, hey... The rich should serve the poor. We should help. It's not about self-gain, as the world says. It's about self-sacrifice, taking up my cross, living for Christ. God is interested in one thing, and that is your heart being Christ-centered. That's it. So here's a balanced view I do believe God wants us to be successful and make as much money as we can for one thing, that we could be as generous as we can. As long as it's not as a, at an expense to your soul, if that makes sense. If God has a hold on your heart, that you're go- you will live an open-handed life. You will live a generous life. Like John Wesley, who said, we should make as much as we can we should save as much as we can so that we can give as much as we can. Isn't that great? Okay, so the answer is not the prosperity gospel. Don't think of that as your get-rich-quick scheme. God's not interested in that. But we shouldn't swing over to the poverty gospel either because that's not what God's saying. The right answer is this. It's right down the middle. It's called Christ-centred contentment. Contentment in Christ. That's the second principle in this series, All In. Last week was generosity. This week is contentment. That We need to consider these as a life of a steward of God's stuff. Are you content? Have a think. We're going to come to the communion table in a second. Are you living in a Christ-centred contentment in every area of your life? This attitude of your heart will only come as you take on the identity that you have as a steward. And remember this, God owns it all. Let it sink deeply into your heart that you own nothing. God owns it all. And that every financial decision you make is a spiritual decision because you are overseeing and managing God's stuff because he is your master and you are a steward and there's only one thing required for you and that is that you be found faithful, faithful. Invite the worship team as we come to communion. We're going to come to the altar and take a cup in a moment and you can stand here at the altar, spend a few minutes, just take your communion, pray to God, become Christ-centred. Sometimes we get off out of we've got to get recalibrate our hearts, true? Gotta recalibrate our hearts at these times. when we get reminded of what the scriptures say. And you can walk out of here this morning financially free. You've, you've never imagined that. Come to church and walk out financially free. Because you're stepping out of a world's economy and into God's economy. Two different things. So let's stand together.